I don't feel very festive. I just, I'm commissioned. But I will. Give me a couple more days. I'm reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'd like to read from the NIV just for a little clarity sake. A couple words that I thought might help us. And I'm reading uh, seven verses in your hearing. And uh, we're going to pray that the Lord will help us. And verse one, are you ready? The Lord sent Nathan to David. Everyone say, thank you, Lord. That one line cannot be undersold. It can't be oversold. It can't be diminished. It can't be too great. It can't be too small. And it's the baseline. It's the baseline. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, then it grew up with him. His children shared his food, drank from his cup, slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or one of his own cattle. He didn't want to kill his own meat to feed the traveler who had come. So instead, that rich man looked around for the one ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man. And he took that. He prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Now I'm speaking to you today how we are saved by a you lamb. Amen. Now Lord Jesus, speak your word to the people and those who have difficulty in receiving help them help all of us to receive the word with unfettered thoughts captivate every thought in our mind help us to erase all that shall be and what has been so that we can take a moment to be changed and saved direct me Lord as I deliver your holy scripture and the word that you have for the body. 
and let the people receive it with all readiness of mind. Let it apply to each of our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be entertained. Even while I preach, release ministering spirits in this house to cultivate the word and the planted seed in the hearts of the people. And let those who hear it days after this is over, let them be moved for a change of life and a designation and a purpose. Keep us and restore us and forgive us. Be the Lord of our lives in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said amen. Why don't before you're seated, put your Bibles behind you. Put your phones down and your iPads down. And Would you just raise your hands now? And with your voice, would you lift up your voice and lift up your hands and surrender to him? Just say this with me. I surrender to you, your will and your word. Ah, Jesus, speak to the church, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, Lord Jesus. Oh, now give him praise with a clap offering and with a shout of hallelujah and a shout of great praise, Lord. Amen. I thank you for standing. You may be seated. With discretion. The medical profession, hospitals, research, chemists, It is a needful profession. It is a benefit to every society. It is not a right to be served by a doctor. It is a privilege. And we are blessed to have Doctors here and nurses and nurse practitioners and attendants. I'm thankful that that you're here and I'm thankful for the physicians that care for all of us for our needs. The Hippocratic Oath includes, among many things, as I read through it, Integrity, honesty, and compassion. It, it can be summarized in just three words, though it is much longer. And in brief, that oath is simplified to do no harm. That's basically the, the summarization of, of the oath. Do no harm. However, through the years, and I'll use discretion here, there have been a few who have bypassed their oath and engaged in 
detrimental practices. Much to the chagrin of of those who are doing well and it aids and abets the skeptic. I, I hope that you care for yourself and that you'll have a a regular appointment. However, there are moments when we find out ill will has been done. One such doctor allowed his patient to die because he gave the patient a false report. It was a purposeful misdiagnosis in order for him to use his patient to validate a different medical procedure uh, was almost like a guinea pig. He almost got away with it. It, it included an experimental drug and there was a substantial benefit to the doctor Regardless of the outcome of his patient, but it came at the cost of the life of, of that woman. I certainly don't want to spur any suspicion of the medical profession here today, only to say that something withheld became both the undoing of the physician and more tragically the death of the one who was in need I have often wondered if truth withheld is greater than a lie. Or perhaps they are the same. The Lord directed me early in the morning last week to read the prophet Ezekiel. It's a hard read. But I came to these Nine verses and answer the questions of truth withheld. I'll read them to you. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel writes. Son of man, speak to your countrymen and say to them, When I bring the sword against the land, the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman. And seize the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn all the people. Then, if anyone hears the trumpet but does not take warning... And the sword comes and takes his life. His blood shall be on his own head. Personal responsibility. Since he heard the sound of the trumpet, but he didn't take the warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he had taken the warning, he would have saved himself. Verse 6. But if the watchman sees the trouble coming, he doesn't do anything. Blow the trumpet, he doesn't warn the people. And the trouble comes, the conflict comes, and takes the life of one of them. That man will be taken away because of his own sin. But I will will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways. That wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do not, but if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he'll die, and you'll live. I must admit today 
that verses like this and Matthew chapter 18, verse 6 and several others, it does not make the pulpit ministry very appealing. In fact, you almost have to be out of your mind to want to be a pastor. I don't have very many witnesses, but Dad, can you help me with this? Do you still have yours, Dad? Because the case against the physician was that he knew the probability of fatality if the disease that the patient had was untreated. If it went untreated, he knew she would die. The court, when it went to court, had to decide the liability of knowledge without action. Knowledge without action. To know and not to tell. To be aware and have a remedy and not to share. Or at least to give the patient, here it is, a choice whether or not to accept the treatment. And that was the big one. He did not give her the choice. She didn't know what she was dying of. Because to live or die at some point was not in the hands of the patient. She was on her way to a bitter end. But the caregiver did not reveal the sickness or the medication to fight the disease. And indeed, she did die. Had the doctor issued the proper medication without a diagnosis, well, the nurses would have questioned his decision and they would have stopped him. They said, oh no, we can't give her that because that's not her issue. So he neither revealed what he knew, nor did he prescribe the proper treatment. In truth, it was not his decision to make. The choice was up to the patient. If she knew what was wrong with her and she rejected the treatment, then the matter would have been removed from the doctor's hands. But because he was so engrossed with his own gain and his own experience and experiment, he hid what she really needed to know from her. He did not tell her. Let me just do that one more time. She needed to know that she had a disease and that disease was going to take her life. The probability of survival was very low. Even if she rejected the report and rejected the treatment, it was incumbent upon the doctor to tell her what he knew. He wanted to use the defense that he did no harm. But the fact is, so ruled by the appellate court and the medical board, was that his duty to lay bare the facts and allow the response to be the privilege of the patient. And then the patient can do whatever she wanted to do with the revelation and the truth about what was going on in her body. It was not up to him whether he could keep it, withhold it, or share it. He had a duty. I wonder if it was evening time when David strolled atop his palace terrace. The army was off fighting a battle as they normally do at that time of year when kings go off to war. The nation wasn't in peril. It was just always keeping the enemy at bay. And they were fighting and David did not go with him. He was a warrior king, however. It must have been unusual for him not to be among his own men. The Bible simply says, at the time when kings go off to war, David tarried still in Jerusalem. Location has so much to do with calling. 
it's often hard for me to separate the two. He was called to lead the army, the nation, but too many victories and too much success became his downfall. Whatever time it was, day or night, David saw a beautiful woman in a compromising position. Lust filled his heart. Ego filled his mind. He sent a servant, I suppose, to call her, and she obliged. Both of them consented to sexual sin that would cause a judgment to ripple through the decades. They had no idea what a one-night stand would bring. Their one-night pleasure cost the lives of so many. James put it this way. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it brings forth death. That's verses 14 and 15. Now verse 16 is often removed from the prior two verses. But I wonder if James would have preferred it to be bound together. Because the next verse simply says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. careful. David suffered, hear me, from self-deception. And there is no deception like self-deception. The devil cannot deceive you like you can deceive yourself. (laughs) We're not privy to the length of time after that illicit affair. But at some point in the following weeks, maybe a month or two, Bathsheba sent word to the king that she was expecting a child. Her husband was a soldier. Everyone knew that. He was in the army far away. He had been away for some time. This is the moment when David began to plan his escape. So in a rush, he called for Uriah to come home. The war was long, and David would show favor to the young warrior. Come on home. David met with Uriah. He said, How are the soldiers doing? How is the war going? They had conversation. There was a report. And then David said to Uriah in 2 Samuel 11, 8, Listen, I want you to, why don't you go home and wash your feet, clean yourself up. Go relax a little bit. But Uriah did not do that. He left the palace. And a gift was sent with him. But verse 9 tells us that he didn't go home. He didn't receive the gift. Instead, he slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. He didn't go down to his own house. And David's plan was foiled What he could never imagine is the loyalty he had garnished from his own men. David's profound leadership had raised up an army of loyal men. They loved him and they also cared about one another. He taught them all the attributes that are now going to work against him. And Uriah, he could not have food or comfort. Or pleasure, knowing his fellow soldiers are sleeping 
among the rocks, risking their lives in the field from whence he came. So he slept at the door of the king, and he never saw his wife, Bathsheba. He never visited with her. Nothing David did or said made any difference to this faithful soldier. In fact, Uriah said to him, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and Master Joab, my lord's men, the, the general, all the men, they're in open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as surely as you live? I'm not going to do that. While they're all suffering and working and struggling, I'm not going to go there. No way. I, I'm just going to lay here at the door. I will tell you what that is. I call that conviction. It is the missing element in the American church. And specifically, the American Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Conviction is missing. It has nothing to do with sin. I'm not talking about sin. It has to do with integrity and the heart. And thinking of the whole body instead of just personal ambition and pleasure. Conviction. Will this hurt the body? Will it help the gospel? Will it help us? Or conviction. There should never be a moment when we only live by the construct of a leadership line. But when you have a walk with God, God will speak to you and tell you, I want you to do this. You cannot go there. You better have a walk with God because if you don't have a walk with God, there's not enough rules or regulations or lines given from any pulpit that's going to keep you. And I will tell you, it's a lazy congregation who wants their preacher to preach hard so they don't have to think. That's obscene to put all the pressure and then pulpits become dictatorships and authoritarians. Why? Because the people don't want to work out their own salvation. They want somebody else to work it out for them. Yes. But I'm promoting to you, you better have a conviction and you got to go back to the altar and pray, God, put something in my heart so that when I take this step, something pierces me and says, oh, you can't go there. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm talking to you today. Listen carefully. You can choose your response, but I cannot choose to withhold from you truth. Because you die and I die. <laughs> And we both die or we both live. Or you die and I live. That sounds okay to me too. <laughs> I don't want you to die. It's not up to me. It's not up to me. But the command of the Lord is far greater than passive pulpits and hearers who want Sunday worship and weekday worldliness. <laughs> See, your acceptance or rejection, it's not up to me. Now, personally, it hurts my heart. You don't think this, especially when I just said what I said, but I'm tender. I like to have friends. <laughs> I like people to be kind. I want to hug you. I'll say it again, but don't think my hug is the approval for your life. That's just my nature to love you. <laughs> I didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. The commandment is my lot, and the altar, ladies and gentlemen, is your choice. Uriah, he got up the next day, 
David said, stay one more day. He said, okay, I'm still not going home. And he went back to the battlefield and David panicked again. And one of my, what might have been David's most deviant act. David did a deviant act now. Now I know that this biblical account offends your sensibilities, especially all those who have put David on a pedestal. But you, if you climb into your scripture, you're going to find that the Bible exposes all the patriarchs in ways we have no idea. Because David wrote a letter, and he put the letter in Uriah's care. Historically, not scripturally, but historical, historically, he would have sealed the letter with a signet ring. So no one could open it except the general. And Uriah did not open it. He gave the letter to Uriah to carry back to Joab, never knowing what it said. But here's, the Bible, here's what the Bible says, what the letter. 2 Samuel eleven fifteen. Put Here's the letter, what it read. Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Uriah carried his own death warrant in his bag all the way back to the front line. That's deviant. And when he died, David the king sighed relief, thinking that what was not known would not be accounted for. He believed that the grave where Uriah was buried would also bury his own sin. Ladies and gentlemen, the king was sick. His illness was ego and arrogance and lust and manipulation. He connived. He provoked. He planned. He betrayed the most loyal of his soldiers. And when Joab, the general, called his fellow scoundrels to pull back, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to advance and then, and then look around then come back real quickly, leaving Uriah alone in the open. They watched him die as arrows pierced his body through and through. He never knew why. Just alone, bleeding out, lying in the dust, bewildered. A message was sent to David. And the message said, The archers have shot from the wall. Your servant Uriah is dead. Time is now passing. And in a public display of false compassion for the widow of Uriah, David rises up and he marries the widow Bathsheba. He's back on his throne and all seems well. What they don't know won't hurt them, they say, right? But in God's goodness... Here's the opening line. The Lord sent Nathan to David. (laughs) And regardless of what the secular mind might be, the goodness of God was never so great than the day that the prophet Nathan came to expose David and give him a choice to be healed or to be lost. Nathan comes in, it appears unannounced. Such is the way of the prophet. He has no vested interest. He doesn't care about your schedule. He's not trying to win friends and influence people. He's prickly like a porcupine. And he has no vested interest in your response. He doesn't care. That's why we don't have many prophets among us. Because most people reject the word of the prophet. 
you won't want a prophet coming around you. Because if they say something, you'll get offended. Because people are highly offended today. Everybody's offended about everything. See, the scripture says when, you, when you're dead in Christ, then you rise again. But I see a whole congregation of people, not here, just everywhere. They're not dead in Christ. They carry their feelings on their sleeve. They're very much alive. Go to the next funeral, say something bad about the person in the casket. If they get up, run away. They won't. You can say all manner of ugly things because they're dead. But people in the church are not dead. They're very much alive. We're offended about everything that we can be offended about. And we're offended on behalf of other people. I'm going to give you the diagnosis and you can do what you want with it. But if I don't blow a trumpet here today, you'll die and I'll die too. And the trumpet of God will sound and you'll think you're ready and you won't be ready. Far be it from me that we're all sitting in this house the day that the trumpet sounds and we're all lost because no one wanted to ever say the truth. (laughs) David just is there with conducting his business, going about life, feeling a lot better than what he did before. Nathan comes in. He's unannounced. He's into the corridor of the, of the throne room. He approaches the king. Oh, king, I got a story for you. It's a perplexing situation. And with all earnest, David leans forward to hear the account of a poor man and a rich man. Nathan poses the story, presents it as if it is real happening in real time. And Nathan tells the king, I got to tell you about a man with, here's the scripture, exceeding flocks. The number of oxen and lambs and camels and all of that. There's no, there's no count made. It's just it's exceeding flocks. He's got herds of animals. David can see it in his mind's eye. He has tended the sheep of his father's house years early. He knows what that looks like. Flocks, exceeding flocks, just they're scattered throughout the hillside. Nathan the prophet is painting this picture. Here's the portrait. He's writing a letter that now David's going to open himself. The poor man has one ewe lamb. The ewe lamb, it's a female lamb. And, and, and the reason why I think that Nathan presented it in that way is because that little lamb, she's the most vulnerable of them all. She has the virtue of weakness. One weak lamb, the ewe lamb, the weakest depleted no strength she doesn't have the strength of the male lamb she is the weakest of them all the rich man he has everything that he's ever wanted desires and somebody comes to his house it's dinner time and this traveler is here he looks around he says man i i don't want to kill any of my own sheep and lambs and goats and oxen i I don't want to have that meat i Why should I take from all of my exceeding flocks? He looks around, he finds the poor man who has one lamb. And he steals it. And he kills it. And he prepares the meal. Nathan is telling the story. And the king leans in, grasping his scepter. His other hand grips the lion's head armrest. He burns with anger inside as he hears the injustice done in his own kingdom. And without any prodding from the prophet, David says, and I quote, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. 
And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And he had no pity on a poor man. And here it comes. This is the moment where people leave the church and leave the prophet and walk out of church services. They run from exposure. They are indignant with self-revelation and shame. In fact, the lie of the enemy today is that there is no shame and there is no sin. The devil's device is there is no guilt and there is no trouble. Thus removing any need for repentance or restoration. The consequence is a seared like calloused conscience it's 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 the calloused hand you can't feel anything but in God's goodness he sent Nathan to David the word was given to Nathan the message was given to Nathan but the response was up to David like the doctor live or die receive it or deny it The physician is bound to speak. The harm is truth withheld. It is the end of a soul. Who is this man, David said? Who would do such a thing with exceeding flocks? And yet look around and find one man, a poor man, and take his only possession and kill it. Who is that man? Tell me, there's a price to be paid. Tell me, Nathan, who is the man who would be so cold and so cruel? And Nathan, though he might have been risking his own life, lifted his own hand and pointed his finger in the king's face and said, Thou art the man. I want to speak to the young dating couple in this room that goes for long embraces in the parking lot. The fire is warm as long as it stays in the boundaries of the fireplace. But a life without boundaries creates skeletons in your closet that will haunt you for the rest of your life. So I want you to pay close attention to pastor. You better be very careful because either you are already engaged in sexual sin or you're just about there. I I want to talk to somebody today about the path that you're on. You might already got to the place where you're going to have a lot of issues in years to come. But just in case I've caught you before you arrived at that place. I want you to rise up today. And I want you to get on your knees. I want you to crawl to God. I want you to say, God, don't let this thing happen to me. I've got to change my life. Not more than a month ago, I, I was in prayer and the Lord, he, 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 he pricked my heart. I began to pray for all of our young people that are in public schools and all of our, our young adults that are going to a secular uh, a college. And I want to commend you, if you can live for God and stay in apostolic Pentecostal and graduate, you have my applause. Because today... The spirits have been unleashed. And it's a hard thing for an apostolic Pentecostal to graduate without being tainted in their mind. That's a hard road. It's not just anthropology that's going to get you like it got me in 1986. It's not just atheism. No, it's far more than that. It's demonic spirits that's invaded every classroom of every age and every public institution. 
If I were you, I'd either teach my kids at my kitchen table like we did, or I'd sell your ATV, your pickup truck, and I'd send them to a Christian academy. I'd forego your family vacation. <laughs> just do it what you want. Just, just, here it is. Just, just kick it aside. You, you know where you're going to eat. You know, where you're, you know what restaurant you're going to. I'll just give it to you. And whatever the, whatever the diagnosis is, I'll give you the treatment, the option. You just decide what you want to do. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to die. I got my own life I got to work on. I'm not going to die and I'm not going to die. I'm going to speak to myself so I don't die. And I'm going to obey the word of the Lord that comes out of my mouth so I don't die. Because this is not a game that we're playing around with. Now, now I want... I, I'm not done. <laughs> I want to talk to all the mamas in this house. You ought to read your Bible because it's time for you to be one of the daughters of Sarah and stop messing around with holiness standards. You think it's no big deal, but it's going to mess them up for the rest of their life and you're causing confusion in their minds. <laughs> Listen. It's in the word, man. This word is so filled. It's so filled. It's so, it's so right. It's so there. I want to talk to the men. There's a lion, a crouching lion, a crouching tiger. He's at your door. Don't think for a moment that greed and lust cannot overtake you. It's overtaken a lot stronger men than you. You're not smart enough. Solomon wasn't. You don't have a heart pure enough. David wasn't. You're not physically strong enough. Samson wasn't. (laughs) Don't you know where we're standing here today? We're standing in the darkest time right before the dawn is about to hit us. We're standing in the last hour of the last day of the last minute. The seconds are just a close away before the coming of the Lord. And I've got to say to somebody here today, you better get as much God and as much light and as much Holy Ghost and as much devotion in your life as you have ever been before. It's time. It's time. It's for all of us. The trumpet sound is for all of us. Do you know that the devil deals in human currency? Because when people leave the church, they don't just leave by themselves. They call all their friends and say all the bad things about the church. I'm speaking right now. I hope you're watching and listening. Those of you who are wolves in sheep clothing. God knows who you are. Don't think you're going to go unscathed. Speak in tongues all you want. Cast out demons all you want. Because when you stand before him and you say, didn't we do all these things in your name? He's going to say, depart from me. Because you didn't get the whole book. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, it's Sunday morning. doesn't feel like Christmas. And I'm going to tell you what, this is the best gift I could ever give you. I'm wrapping up, putting little bows, got bells on it. <laughs> I don't know. Just a joke. I'm giving it to myself. I'm giving it to my children. I'm giving it to our home. I'm speaking to me and you. No one's exempt from the word. Neither the messenger or the people who receive the message. 
Because the word is higher and greater and farther than any one of us. I just got to tell you about the little ewe lamb, the weak ewe lamb. When that lamb died, it exposed everybody. And there was a lamb that hung on a cross. He was at the weakest point. And when the Bible says he took our sins, just by virtue of that one scripture, it declares that we were sinners. When the lamb died, it exposed that we were sinners. That human currency is everywhere. I purposely don't speak of the war that's going on in the Middle East. I have a lot of things to say about it, but I don't speak of it very much. And I pray for the people of Israel. And I pray for all those who are caught in a trap, a lifetime. A little Palestinian child that grows up knows nothing but hate. That's what he's been taught since he was two years old. He don't know anything. He knows nothing. Human currency. Because that's what Hamas is doing right now. They're using people as human shields like currency to get what they want. They don't care about babies or children or elderly or people. They don't care about that. Just so all of you know, there is no symmetry there. Now, our media will tell us there's symmetry. That's a lie. There is no symmetry. Because symmetry means they're both wrong. That's not true. We're so far away from World War I, World War II, we don't even know what war looks like. We want war to be placid and kind with pudding and cheesecake. There's a battle. And just like there's a battle right now going on for the lives and the freedom of the people in the Middle East, there's a battle for your life and for this church. And the devil doesn't take any prisoners. He deals in human currency. He doesn't care about your family or you or your neighbors or your children. He will burn them. He will destroy them. He'll destroy you. He'll take down everything he can. So I rise up to blow the trumpet and say, hey, everybody, we got to get right. we got to get holy. You don't mess around. This is the last day of time. And just in case you say to me, well, pastor, I've got a good life. No one hates me. The devil hates you. You have an enemy. You don't even. Listen, there's no enemy like the devil. You may be seated. Just clap your hands unto the Lord. There's no enemy like the devil. Clap your hands because God is your savior. Clap your hands because you have the Lord and you've been bought with a prize. You think the devil takes it easy on you? His full-time job and all those spirits, the demonic spirits, are constantly after you. You have no enemy like him. There's no one inside or outside the church. There's not a family member. No, not your mother-in-law. Nobody. Incidentally, my mother-in-law loves me. So when I make a joke, it's not about mine. It's about your mother-in-law. Mom, hello, Mom. I love you. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So let me just say, you spent too much time sitting at a table talking about other people. And you spent too little time kneeling at an altar talking to God. Where did the kneeling go? When did we stop kneeling? 
The Bible says that every word that we speak will be accounted for. Every word. And while feel-good sermons and watered-down doctrines are attractive to a lot of people, trust me, we could fill this house. All we have to do is remove all parts of the Bible so that people feel good about coming and their guilt is appeased. They sing to the back of someone's head. Fellowship is lost in formality and the word of God is laid waste. But the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a bride, a people. And that bride is not going to have a spot. There's no wrinkle in that garment. There's nothing that resembles it. It may not be for you so severe as infidelity. It may not be the disease of perversion or deceit. But it could be pride. It could be the disease of jealousy. It could be the cancer of disobedience. You're shrugging it off. You're saying, well, it just, I, I just didn't feel like that's what I should do. But, so you disobeyed, but you gave yourself an excuse. But God did not excuse you. It might just be a lack of conviction or the rejection of holiness standards. I just know this. My calling this morning is to blow a trumpet. Because we've got to get our hearts right with the Lord. We've got to get our minds in the right place. And our words need to be prone to purity and constraint. It matters, ladies and gentlemen, how we live. It matters what we say to one another and to other people. <laughs> yeah. I want a Holy Ghost revival. The world is lost. When they come into the church, they should find people that live for the Lord on Sunday and keep living that way on Monday because the contradictions have become too great and the hypocrisy now shows. Amen. I'm, I'm trying to stay in my lane. and This is my lane right here. I'm trying to stay in my lane. I really don't want a key to every room in the church and no, I don't know where the Windex is. Now I do know where the hand sanitizer is and I will bathe you in that. Just because I know you have germs. It's true. I have, no, I, I, I have no compulsion to withhold good hand sanitizer from you. But I'll tell you what my lane is. My lane is. i got to preach the word to you and to me. Maybe it's just to me and to you. I've got to preach the word. And I've got to heed that word. And I got to say, Lord, here I am. Search me and know me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And purge me with the hyssop and I'll be clean. Don't take your spirit from me, Lord. Wash me and I'll be clean. Make me whiter than snow and create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew within me a right spirit. This is how Jesus began his ministry. The same Jesus that people use today for their own means. And I'm going to tell you. You can put a cross in gold or you can put it, you can make it out of silver. But you better have a relationship with it. Because it wasn't smooth and it wasn't shiny and it wasn't pleasant. I will just submit to you, get the crosses off your neck and out of your keychains and put it away. Because the cross that Jesus died, that was a you lamb. That was a vulnerable lamb. It was painful. The horridness of the cross. 
It's not a piece of jewelry. It's a reminder that someone died there. It was bloody. It was grotesque. He was naked. He was stripped. And his face had been so beaten. He didn't even look like a man. And the whip had wrapped around his torso. And ripped his belly. And ripped his back. And ripped his torso. He had been beaten so much. That his whole body was bruised. And the blood oozed from every part of him. Go put that cross around your neck. Put the real cross around your neck. And tell me how much it matches your outfit. I got a word for you. We have to have a relationship with that cross because a lamb that died there exposed me. He exposed who I am. And a prophet came and laid it open and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And when John the Baptist rose up to decry all their sins, he introduced the lamb that was going to die. And when he did that, I said, Woe is me. Woe is me. Who shall save me from this body of flesh? Jesus introduced his earthly ministry in Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Acts 17, 30. I read it in another version. In the past, God overlooked ignorance. People didn't know. But now he commands all people everywhere to do what? To do what? Say it out of your mouth. To do what? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Through Jesus Christ, he has given proof of all this to men by raising them from the dead. Here's the command. Don't find it trivial or pleasant, because it's not. It's deep. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all All your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And that's the first one. I'm going to love him with everything that's inside of me. Hear me. Hear me. The Lord spoke to you, but you're not loving him with all it because you're playing around. And that sinful activity will bring you down. You think no one knows, but the Lord knows. He's calling you today to an altar of repentance. Come sacrifice your life because the forgiveness is here for you. It's not from me. There's a trumpet blowing. There's a sound for everybody. And the trumpet's calling out to all of us. Here is the day, the 3rd of December. We're going to change something in our lives. We're not going to let the world overtake us. We're not going to let the devil destroy our families. If I'm one of the dads here, I'm praying right now intercessory prayers over my children. I, my father still prays for me and my, and my brother and my sister. He prays intercessory prayers over us. Keep my boys and my daughter. There will never be a day when my dad's not praying for us. My dad's still praying for us because that's his role. When I came into this world, he was praying for us. And he's still going to pray for us. If you're a father in this place, you ought to be praying for your babies and your children. 
You ought to be doing everything you can to intercede on their behalf and showing them the way that's called holy and worshiping the Lord so you're setting an example for all the, all the children in the church. Now, your father may not be here, so I'm just going to tell you, I'm praying for you and I'm preaching to you. Because I refuse to let the devil kill another one of our innocent children in the Lord. There's a human currency that he's dealing with. And I'm not going to stand by, idly stand by, and just let it go. I'm going to blow the trumpet. Here's the trumpet. Oh, God, here's the trumpet. Now, Lord, now, Lord, do your work among the people, Lord. Take out all the stuff. Take out all the stuff. I don't know who's watching this. I don't know who's observing this. I don't know what church or denomination you're part of. I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to all the Pentecostals. I'll learn how to do all this learned behavior. Come on now. You better, you better do more than just jump on the fast song. I, I'm grateful for the fast songs. I want to dance and jump and shout and run. But you better have more than just a shout and a jump and a dance. I've watched with my own eyes people in the, in the altar jump and dance. And the next month they were gone. They were lost. They had nothing. They didn't care about the doctrine. They didn't care about oneness. They're now going to churches that preach a false doctrine. But they were jumping on Sunday night. You better have more than just a clap and you better have more than just a kick with your feet. You better have a walk with God and you better have a praise and you better have the word and you better have a clear sound. I'll tell you what the enemy's doing. He's picking apart every seam. He's trying to unravel everything you've done. He's trying to put people in your life to destroy your walk with the Lord. It's a trumpet. And here's the treatment. Oh God, clean my heart, Lord. I repent of what I haven't done and I repent of what I have. Clean me thoroughly and wash me, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, pure Savior, King of my heart and my life. Oh, heal me, Lord. Heal me. Heal my mind and my thinking. Heal my thinking. I've become so worldly. I've tried to please people in the world, Lord. I've given my money to things that don't satisfy. And I've given my time that eats up my days, Lord. But I pray, forgive me, Lord, of wasting time on media, Lord. I haven't prayed. I haven't sought you for a long time, Lord. My Bible has been cold. It's been shut. My prayer life is inept, Lord. I haven't fasted in a long time. I don't really know the scripture very well. I don't even really know what oneness stands for, Lord. I'm not sure of baptism, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. These simple doctrines. Forgive me of not sharing the gospel. Forgive me of just wanting to come to church and be fed. All I want to do is just be fed. Forgive me of never inviting anyone. People are on their way to hell and I'm just walking by. I'm not saying anything to them, Lord. Forgive me. Clean me, Lord. Forgive me of using shyness, Lord, as an excuse not to be a witness for the gospel. Oh, Lord. 
Oh, God. Oh, God. Restore your church to purity. Restore this house to prayer. Restore this place to thanksgiving. Let the joy of our salvation rise up. Let sacrifice be part of our daily walk, Lord, I pray. Forgive us, Lord. We can make we can make time to do anything, but we're not making time for prayer at the church. And we're not making time to sacrifice our lives. We're just looking for pleasure. Uh, help us be saved by the Lamb. I want to be saved by the Lamb, Lord, so expose me. Lay bare my inadequacies, my failure, my faults. I lay it open to you. I lay it open to you. I'm praying for young people, Lord, that are caught in sexual perversions and sexual sins. I pray against that demonic spirit, Lord, that will destroy their minds. It's releasing endorphins in their brain, Lord. I pray against these young, young dating couples, Lord, that have no boundaries and they got guidelines and are doing whatever they want. I pray against that in Jesus' name. I rebuke it, Lord. I pray that they would repent of their sins. I, I pray for the men and the women, the grandfathers and children, Lord. I pray. Help us, Lord, to rise up to be men and women in this day. I know the devil's not going to spare any of us, Lord. He would, he would desire to kill us, to sift us like wheat, Lord, to devour our whole lives, Lord. I, I kneel today as intercessor for the, on behalf of the people, both here and abroad. I pray, Lord Jesus, and help us, Lord, restore unto us something that we lost along the way. Help us have a depth, Lord, so that while we're dancing, shouting, and jumping, Lord, we know what we're doing, Lord, because we've been in prayer that week. We've been in the Bible, Lord, and now we rejoice out of the knowledge of what we have learned, not just the rhythm of the beat. forgive us of arrogancy there's so much pride in this in this place today i felt it lord i felt that spirit of pride rise up and i rebuke that foul thing cast it out of our lives so much pride false humility oh god You see down in the corners of our lives, shine your light in every dark corner. And every chamber, Lord, that we've closed off, Lord, you know.